Would you please join me in morning scripture? Acts 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. Also I heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, By no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers who accompanied me and we entered the man's house, he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called to Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, just as it upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads us to life. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, church. I want to greet you this morning in the name and spirit of the risen Christ as we are continuing in this Easter season. It is such a joy to be with you today and to have this opportunity not only to preach but to lead the adult forum following our worship service this morning. I want to particularly thank Reverend Judy Zabel for the invitation and to take a moment to express my deep appreciation and admiration for Pastor Judy's spiritual leadership and for your entire ministry team. You are blessed, aren't you not, to have uh, such a quality team and uh, the kind of spirit enthusiasm that uh, Judy brings to uh, lead this congregation. Is that right? Uh, so I thought you might want to address that. And I don't know if I'll make the uh, retirement celebration, so I want to take a moment to publicly uh, thank uh, Sally Johnson for the outstanding leadership and ministry she has provided this congregation uh, over the years as well. We will miss her. I think she reti she's retiring way too early, but uh, that's out of my hands now. So thank you, Sally. And a word of thanks to uh, this entire uh, Hennepin Avenue congregation as well. You are clearly on a course toward vitality, a journey toward vitality. It's evident in your congregational life. You can feel the spirit here. 
Amen? But it's also evident in how you have made yourself available for God to work through you as you reach into this community and the world. And so I want to thank you for your example. It's an encouragement to me, and you need to know it's also an encouragement to the entire Minnesota Annual Conference. So keep it up. God is indeed doing miracles through you. I have every confidence you'll receive all the blessing that you need out of your offering today. And if not, there will be future opportunities to add to the miracle. (laughs) Is that right? Yes, I thought maybe so. Would you uh, pray with me? Lord God, what a joy it is to be in your presence this day. You've called us. And so now we ask, we dare to ask, that you would open our hearts so that we might receive what you would say to us this day with joy, with anticipation. Continue, O God, to pour out your anointing upon this congregation and to work through them to accomplish your kingdom goals here and throughout the world. In the name of the Christ we pray, amen. Friends, I became an instant and ardent admirer of Pope Francis right after he was elected. God, I believe, is working through him to energize all of Christendom, including our own Methodist movement. Amen? Amen. In an interview he gave to the Jesuit magazine America shortly after he was elected, he spoke directly to my heart when he said this, the church has locked itself up in small things, in small-minded rules. Now, I thought that was a word for the United Methodist Church specifically. He went on to say, the most important thing is the first proclamation. And here it is. Jesus Christ has saved you. Pope Francis goes on to say, a beautiful homily, a genuine sermon must begin with the first proclamation, with the proclamation of salvation. And so I begin with the proclamation of John the baptizer when he saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized. This story is recorded for us in the first chapter of John's gospel. And John says, here, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, this is the first proclamation. This is the core of the good news. This is the proclamation that unites all of Christendom. All who take the the name of Christ. Our fundamental unity as the body of Christ with multiple expressions and traditions is in the first proclamation. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. Now, I think we'd be far better off as we work toward unity within our own denomination and with others who take the name of Christ if we would keep it simple and stay on the core. And the core is Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away your sin and my sin and the sin of the world. Not just the sin, not just the sins of Catholics or the sins of Methodists or the sins of Lutherans, even though we know they're considerable, but the sins, <laughs> but the sins of the world. Not just the sins of white people or black people or brown people or red people, but the sins of the world. Not just the sins of gay people or straight people or transgendered people, but the sins of the world. Not just the sins of those who are native-born or those who are immigrants, but the sins of the world. Here's one of the disturbing things I've discovered that too often when theologian types like myself attempt to build on or subtract from this first proclamation, this core of the gospel, it is all too often for the purpose of dividing. 
we're judging or excluding people. This uh, Christian unity stuff is difficult in part because we tend to forget that authentic unity is a spirit gift, not something we create. Paul makes this clear in the fourth chapter of his letter to the Ephesians. Allow me to read these several verses to you. Paul writes, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. And here it is, here it is, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Paul understood we do not create unity. We maintain unity. We cannot create a gift. We are called to affirm, celebrate, and maintain unity. We don't create the body of Christ. It is a gift. We are initiated into the body, into this gift, through baptism by water in the Spirit. I could have not had a better object lesson for this morning. That's what creates the body. The initiation through water and the Spirit. I affirm with many, if not all, in this room that clarity of doctrine in our teaching and preaching and confessing is essential to the unity of the church. Doctrinal standards are to be upheld. However, I want to offer this word of caution, a word that I think we need to listen to right now within our own United Methodist Church. And here it is. Correct doctrine will not ultimately unite the church. The biblical witness suggests otherwise. Unity, the unity which Jesus prayed for and urged us to bear witness to, is ultimately a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's sent to those who abide in Christ's love. Friends, Pope, excuse me, Pope Francis made a very similar assertion in this interview I referred to a moment ago. He went on to say, in our relations with one another, it is important not only to know each other better, but also to recognize what the Spirit has sown in the other as a gift to us. We must walk united with our differences. There is no other way, Pope Francis said, to become one. This is the way of Jesus. Now, I want to suggest to you this morning that authentic Christian unity is essentially a Pentecost phenomenon. Authentic unity is ultimately a gift of the Spirit rather than a fruit of correct doctrine or intertwining organizations or even civility in our relationships. Doctrine states and informs what we know and believe about God in Christ and the activity of the Holy Spirit and thus expresses our understanding of what binds us together. But doctrine in and of itself does not bestow upon us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of unity. Authentic unity is born of Christ's death on a cross, putting death to, to our hostility as well. Authentic unity is incarnated in Christ, the Lamb of God made visible in the loaf and the cup. Authentic unity flows from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Authentic unity is expressed in loving others as God loves us. Thanks be to God, right? Authentic unity is possible only when God's people are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The history of the early church, recorded for us in the book of Acts, 
is instructive to me and to our current reality within our denomination. As you know, the book of Acts is, the, is in large part the story of the, of the birth of the Christian church. And as you also know that the earliest Christians were, were Jews. It was really a sect of Judaism initially, and they were struggling to figure out how they welcome others, how they break down the walls of them and us. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? How to break down the walls between them and us. Christians and Gentiles, we find in, in the book of Acts, agreed on the mission of Jesus when two conditions prevailed. We should not forget these. First, a leader or leaders filled with and guided by the Holy Spirit proclaimed Jesus' expansive, extravagant, and unconditional love. In the story we read today, that was Peter who stood before the Jerusalem council and said, God's love is more expansive than the little box we have understood God's love to be contained in. And secondly, the second condition is the community of believers, again inspired and led by the Holy Spirit, affirmed that the poor, the marginalized, the outcast, the other, if you will, would never be forgotten. John Wesley, the founder of our great Methodist revival movement, was such a leader. He, was pro he proclaimed Jesus' expansive, extravagant love and grace, and he called people, that would be us, to be a church in solidarity with the poor, with those on the margins. This is, these are some of the, a couple of the unique marks of what it means to be a Methodist Christian. We believe that God's grace is available to all and it is expansive. And we believe we are to walk with and be in solidarity with all of God's people, especially those who have been kicked to the curb. The witness from Acts chapter 11 of Peter recounting his vision while in Joppa to the believers in Jerusalem at this council is instructive to us. By the way, for those of you that are biblical scholars, you know that this, uh, this uh, council is spoken about in Acts chapter 15 as well. So they were there a long time, I think. Anyway, you may recall Peter gets called on the carpet for baptizing some Gentiles in Caesarea. Can't you hear them saying to Peter, what do you think you're doing rubbing shoulders with that crowd, you know, with that uncircumcised scum? and eating what is prohibited, and ruining our good names. Oh, this kind of frightens me because it sounds a lot like some of the questions we ask each other even today, doesn't it? In the midst of our struggles to be one in Christ, we often ask the same questions. What are you doing rubbing shoulders with those other folks doing what is prohibited, ruining our good names? Peter goes on to tell the council at Jerusalem that when he began to address the outsiders, the outsiders in Caesarea, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as it did on us. Whoa, we ought to be listening here. It fell on them just as it did on us. And then he recalls Jesus' words, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Peter concluded with a penetrating question as he was addressing the Jerusalem Council, a question that often haunts me, but, but a question that I believe must guide our, 
our efforts to seek authentic unity and our, our efforts to, to bear witness to Christ in the world and our, our efforts to be engaged in mission in the name of Jesus. And here's the question. You already know it. If then God gave them the same gift that God gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? Who was I that I could hinder God? Like many, if not all of you, I have been blessed to be a party in personal relationships and in communities where the unity that Jesus prayed for took hold and lives were transformed, faith was deepened, and love became extravagant and our witness became incarnate. I've seen this. You've seen this. What happens when, the whole, when we're baptized by the Holy Spirit and we welcome all to the table? God can do miraculous things. In every case, in every case that I've experienced, the common denominator was the willingness or the ability to ask and respond to this fundamental question, who am I to hinder God? This is the same question Jesus is asking us today, I believe. Who are you to hinder God? Who are you, the United Methodist Church, to hinder God? I believe this is a question we must wrestle with. The question has the same effect that Jesus' scribbling in the dirt had on the explosive situation where the men, and it was all men then, were posed to stone the woman caught in adultery. Because what happened, you know that story, what happened, we don't know what Jesus wrote. Wouldn't you love to know what he wrote? But you know, it's not really germane because it's the effect of it that is the message because space is created. Holy space is created. Space enough for us to look again, look deeper into the presence, or look deeper for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Space enough to receive the baptism of the Spirit. Space enough to allow the Spirit to bless us with the gift of one heart and one mind. Space enough to recognize that the Spirit gift in another person is valuable and as important as the Spirit gift that I have. Space enough for the Holy Spirit to inform our doctrine and our decisions. Space enough for the reign of God to break forth. So just imagine with me for, for just a moment here as, as I try to finish this thing. Consider this with me. Perhaps, just perhaps, our unity will be found in our fire for the gospel and not our fight about the gospel. Perhaps our unity will be found in the first proclamation, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, and not in our prohibitions and regulations. Perhaps our unity will be found in our passion for the poor, not our trying to protect our positions and power and prosperity. Perhaps our unity will be found in remembering it is God's work, not our personal or even our denominational agendas that we are called to. Perhaps our unity will be found not so much in defending what we believe, but in loving and living what we believe. Perhaps our unity will be found when we earnestly and collectively pray for and submit to the powerful and unifying gift of the Holy Spirit rather than aligning all of our energies and thoughts and speech with our homogeneous tribal groups. Perhaps our unity will be found when the first thought in our minds and on our lips is, who am I to hinder God if God gave the same exact gift to them? as to us. And so as we go forth this morning, 
as we continue to be in conversation one with another, as we continue to pray for the unity of our denomination and a way forward. May Peter's rhetorical but penetrating question be our prayer, our common prayer, our constant prayer. Who am I to hinder God? Who are we to hinder what God has chosen to do in giving them exactly the same spirit gift as us? Who are we to hinder God? Thanks be to God. Amen.